we do love you and praise you and thank you for such an amazing time just to be led to the throne room of your grace, God, where we may find mercy in our time of need. And Lord, we do need you so desperately this morning, God. We need you to move and work and speak and meet us here, God. We know your presence is here. So now we ask, God, that you would speak to us through the word of God, the living, powerful word of God, Lord, a message of hope that we so desperately need in this day in which we live, God. So anoint this time. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what a blessing it is to be moving forward in the Word of God together. We are journeying in Jesus together, beginning our first chapter this week, which is 1 Peter chapter 1, and I pray that you did the homework. It was a fabulous lesson, so good. Isn't the homework good? Amazing, isn't it? Such a blessing to be able to have a a structure if we're just learning how to have a devotional life, or if we do have a devotional life, it's a great means by which we can have structure and actually really dig into a book of the Bible together. We get uh, to go through it, and then we get to um, apply it to our lives uh, through the application, I pray this morning, and then we have fellowship in our groups. So uh, what a blessing. But Uh, Is there anybody new here today? Anybody that's here? Okay, for the first time, well, welcome. I'm Michelle Randall. (laughs) I forgot to say that last week. I assumed that everybody knew who I was, but I forget that there's so many new people. So welcome. We love you and are so blessed that you're here. I was with our Monday night women, a group almost this size. Such a blessing to be with those Monday women. I'm just going to say it's hard to get here Monday night. You know, just saying, it's difficult. It was hard for me to come, and, and I had to be here. Well, I didn't have to. I chose to be here, but they, they could choose whether they wanted to come after work or not, and they come, and they're excited to be here. So I'm excited that they're excited, so it makes me excited. Aren't you excited? Is anybody excited here? Okay. So um, I'm excited to be here, and I am excited to talk about this living hope that Christina was sharing with us. We are so blessed that we have a living God. Amen? He is not dead, but he is alive. He is living and powerful. His word is alive. He is alive. His spirit is very much alive in us and desiring to do a neat work in each of our lives. Have you ever heard, though, the term, while there's life, there's hope? Anybody? Okay. While there is an element of truth to the saying, there is no guarantee, is there? It's not life that determines hope. It is faith that determines hope. Amen? It is faith. It's our faith found in Jesus Christ that determines this living hope that we talk about, that we sing about, that um, we're excited about, this living hope. We as believers have living hope because our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in anybody else other than the one true living God. Therefore, our hope is alive. 
This living hope is the major theme that runs through this book that we're studying, First Peter. And here in our chapter today, we will look at three reasons why we were born. So, um, we were born to hope. If you know anything about hope, and if you're taking notes, it's one of our first points today. If you know anything about hope, you know that it involves suffering, right? That, that comes with the territory. And suffering and persecution is something that, from the very beginning, that Paul will speak to us today. His message today is be hopeful. Be hopeful. And we already talked about last week that we are living in a society that is considered to be in an epidemic of hopelessness. So we need hope, don't we? And we need to spread this hope and share this hope with others who are hopeless. If we just went around and asked people if they have hope or what is your hope in, we might want to try that today with people that we know that are possibly non-believers or struggling. What is your hope in? We might find some different answers. My hope is in my future or in my success or in my accomplishments or in a relationship. Our hope is in nothing. This world has nothing to offer us. Nothing. Our hope is in Jesus. That's where it needs to stay. That's where it needs to be. Hope is the expectation of coming good. As mentioned last week, I was sharing with you that we are in this epidemic of hopelessness. But we have the answer for everybody, and we need to share that answer with them. There isn't much that we can place our hope in in this world. That's why our hope needs to be built upon Jesus Christ. Because this life isn't it. This isn't at the end. This is really just a drop in the bucket. It's the dash on our tombstone between our birth and our death. But there is a life for eternity that goes on forever and ever and ever after this life. And that is where our hope is. It's not here. It's there. It's ahead. There's a life, we know, after the grave. And those who place their hope in Jesus will have the promise of heaven to look forward to. That is where our hope is, and that is what Peter shares with his discouraged, weary, persecuted, and suffering listeners and readers today. So Peter, for one moment, let's just introduce the author. He is the author of this book. He is one of the 12 disciples. He's a fisherman brought to Jesus by his brother, Andrew. Peter was known. We know if we know anything about Peter, if I ask you, what, when, when I say the word Peter, what do you think of? Anybody? Denial. What? I didn't hear that. Oh, rock. Okay, yeah. Okay. Anyone else? He's saying, you know, we think of these things. We think of all of his boo-boos, right? All of his blunders. When we think of Peter, we think he's impulsive and impetuous. Um, and that he will always be remembered as the disciple who cut off the soldier's ear, who sank when he tried to walk on water because he got his eyes off Jesus, the one that denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. We think of him as the immature, zealous Peter. Although Peter acted, I say, much like a 19-year-old boy, if, you've entered, if you have boys, you know they're very impulsive, 
uh, Jesus saw something in Peter that was special. He saw potential in Peter. Don't you love that? He saw what Peter would become. He saw that the impulsive, impetuous Peter would become the leader of the early church. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there. And I know our Bible study talks about this word apostle. We're going to dig in a little deeper. Here we see right from the beginning that Peter identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus. As our Bible study states, an apostle is one sent out on a mission. His office, the office of apostle, uh, it carried responsibility and authority. Many marvel that it was Peter who was called to be the leader of the early church. Yet I, for one, am blessed that the Lord uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Amen? Any amens? Okay. I am foolish, but God uses the foolish people, the impulsive Peters, the zealous ones that lack maturity. He uses them. He sees the potential. He knows what you're going to become. He uses you and me to confound the wise. I am so blessed that this story of Peter is in the Bible. One of the questions in our Bible study that stopped me in my tracks and may have stopped you as well, was this. Listen to this question. Would you be willing to be remembered for your failures rather than your successes if your life served as an example to others? Whoa. Um, No. Right? Okay. Anybody? No. I think many of us can attest to our many failures. We will say, yes, I failed. We'll even share with you our testimony. This is my testimony. I had an opportunity to do this recently with some young girls. Share my testimonies. This is what I did in the past, but I'm a new creation. God used it, got me off that track, physically broke both of my heels. Physically, I did. I was a cheerleader in college. Broke both my heels to get me on the right track. And he did that. But what if... I was only known for that, for all of the things that I did wrong, nothing that I did right, just so that it served as an example and and I could share my testimony. I don't think so, because I really like this side of the cross, don't you? I mean, I really like telling people about Jesus and now and what he's done and and all I've done and the people I've led to the Lord and, and... That's what I like to major on, right? I mean, who wants to major on all of our boo-boos? None of us want to major on that. But the question really stopped me in the tracks because uh, I think many of us can attest to our many failures, but we don't want to be remembered by them, right? In Peter's very name, we see the plan of God. Don't you love it? Love it. You know, each of our names will be changed The Lord has a name for us when we get to heaven, and our name will be changed. Do you ever wonder what your name's going to be? I do. I do. I I think I I may be something like Peter. Impulsive, impetuous, like that's... But then I'm like, ooh, am I going to be rock? Lord, please. Ooh, yes, I would love to be a rock. So in his very name, before his name was changed, his name was Simon, meaning what? Shifting sand, unsettled. After the Lord, Peter was... Um, settled or becoming settled, the Lord changed his name to rock or stone. 
Nearly 50 times in the New Testament, he calls Simon, and often he calls him Simon Peter. Did you ever wonder that? Like, after he changed his name to Peter, why does the Lord go back to Simon Peter? Shifting sand rock. I mean, if you put it to, I, wait, that's what I was forgetting about. Why do you keep reminding me about this, Lord? Shifting sand rock. It's possible, just going to throw it out there, and I thought as I read this, I thought, that's interesting. This wasn't my idea. This was Warren Wiersbe. But he said uh, that these two names stand for two natures that we battle as believers, the old and the new. That's good, right? I'm going to go with that one. I like it. So as Simon, he was only another human piece of clay. But as Peter, Jesus made him a rock out of that clay. And he can do the same with us. Amen? I'm looking, I want to be a rock. I want to be solid, firm, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. No more shifting. I don't want to, I don't want to be that old nature. But it is very real that they battle each other, right? The old and the new, constant battle. Simon, Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon, Peter. Constantly battling each other. So Peter continues with his greeting in verse 1, saying to us, to the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So here we notice that Peter addresses the letter to pilgrims, the elect and the sanctified. Pilgrims, uh, as our Bible study mentioned, means strangers, residents, aliens, sojourners. They were believers. They were citizens of heaven uh, through their faith in Jesus Christ, though they were just passing through the earth. They were just stopping along. This was just a stop along the way to eternal life. Because we as Christians are strangers to the world, we are considered strange to the world, right? Different. We have standards and values different from that of the world, which gives us both opportunity for witness and it brings warfare as well and persecution. As we continue in this book, we will see that many of the readers were experiencing opposition and persecution because they were different, because of their different values, their different lifestyles. Have you experienced any persecution because you were different? Because your value, your lifestyle is different? I have. When we stand for Jesus, we will be opposed. We talked about this last week. It will bring opposition. In fact, if you are not being opposed some way in your life, I would wonder where you are with Jesus Christ. Peter also points out that we are in this process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. We are set apart, sanctified, set apart, and becoming more like him. And if Jesus was persecuted, we will be as well. But we can be hopeful because we know that we are just passing through, right? This isn't it. Doesn't that take the pressure off? I mean, I'm like, this, this isn't it. So do we just sit back? No, we get busy. 
C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We weren't made for this world, ladies. We were made for another world. That's to come. Our living hope is in Jesus, but our hope is where he's preparing for us to go. Heaven, our hope needs to be fixed on heaven. So don't dig your roots too deep here on earth. Keep a light touch on the things of earth. My father-in-law always used to say to us, it's just going to burn, it's going to burn, it's going to burn. You know, he had very little possessions because he just didn't, he had a light touch of the things on earth. And that's what I want to be like. Light touch, light touch. Don't have too much here, ladies. Don't be too invested in this life. We need to be invested in the life to come. Peter concluded this long first verse by saying, grace to you and peace be multiplied. You cannot have peace without having experienced the grace of God, right? No peace. You can't have a peace. You can't, you can't know peace of God without knowing the grace of God. It was at a British conference, I came across the story of C.S. Lewis again, uh, on comparative religions that experts gathered together from all over the world, and they debated this question, what makes Christ the Christian faith so unique? As they discussed possibilities, slowly they began to eliminate one after another. Some thought that it was the incarnation that made Christianity so unique. Others, the resurrection that made Christianity so unique. But as they discussed, it became evident that there were other religions that claimed God's appearing in human form. There was also other religions that claimed that God, their God returned from the dead. As time passed, the debate grew very heated. Right then, C.S. Lewis, who many believe to have been one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the 20th century, he strolled in, and he heard them shouting from down the hall. And as he entered the room, he asked, what's all the rumpus about? His colleagues told him of their discussion as to what made Christianity so unique from the other religions of the world. And C.S. Lewis replied, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And after a while, they all agreed. It's grace. Grace is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Grace is simply God's unmerited favor. It's getting what we do not deserve. Or another way to remember it is God's riches at Christ's expense grace. You cannot earn grace. You do not deserve grace. It is simply God doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves, no strings attached. You could never repay him for it, for his grace was solely motivated by love and not based upon any conditions. I like how Philip Yancey puts it. 
He says, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddha's eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and the Muslim code of law, each of those refers to a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Amen? But just because grace is free, it is not cheap. It may have cost us nothing, but it cost Jesus his life. You see, it was our sin that held Jesus to the cross, not those nails. Because of his great love for us, he took what we deserved on the cross, and he gave us mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, while grace is getting what we don't deserve. Amen? And thus, we have God's grace in a living hope. Peter says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are able, ladies, to live each day with hope because Jesus took our place on the cross, dying so that we could live with him forever in heaven. We have this eternal hope, this living hope. If it were not for the grace of God, we wouldn't have any hope. We would be hopeless. And that's why we meet people in the world that are hopeless because they don't have this. They don't have the answer, but we have the answer. And we can give that to other people. No one knew the meaning of grace more than the Apostle Peter We read, as we said, the accounts of Peter's impulsive actions, his denials in the gospel. Peter was zealous. He was a fisherman. I imagine, in my mind, that he was burly. Anyone else? I I imagine he was kind of big and burly. And always ready to defend you. Yet the same Peter, who walked on water for a moment before he sank and claimed to be ready to die for Jesus, would deny knowing him, as I said, not one, not two, but three times. Most of us can relate to Peter because we are often zealous when we first come to know the Lord, and yet we lack maturity, just like Peter. And as I said before, the story of Peter is so very encouraging to us because in the story of Peter, we discover that Jesus could see what Peter could not see. And he sees the same thing in us. He can see in us what we cannot see in ourselves. He sees ahead. He's all omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees into the future. He knows us better than anybody else. And he knows what we can become. And it's never too late to become all that Jesus wants you to be. Because guess what? He is not finished with us. He's not done. 
I don't care how old or how young or how long you've been walking with the Lord. He isn't done with you yet. He still wants you to go deeper, do more, share more, however you can with others. This should give us hope. We may not be where we want to be with Jesus, and none of us should be. You know, none of us should be satisfied with where we are with him. We should always be wanting more of Jesus. But we can be encouraged that even though we're not where we want to be, Jesus sees where we can be. Amen. And he does, does not give up on us. He never gives up on us. Warren Wearsby said, this confident hope that Peter talks about gives us encouragement and enablement that we need every day. It does not put us in a rocking chair where we're complacently awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. Instead, it puts us on the marketplace, on the battlefield, where we keep going. When the burdens are heavy and the battles are hard, we do not give up because we have this living hope. Amen? We just don't say, we're in. Let me sit back. We're in. How many people can I take with me? Amen? Hope is not a sedative. It's a shot of adrenaline. I like that. That wasn't mine. I wish that was my quote. Oh, boy. Wouldn't that be a good one? Hope is not a sedative. It's a shot of adrenaline. Yes! Can you tell I'm excited about hope? This is our living hope. It should be what charges us in the morning. We should get up and say, I'm on my way to heaven. It doesn't matter what happens today. We've been without a refrigerator for going on three weeks at our house. Just saying. Yeah, it's okay. John keeps reminding me, Michelle, people in Florida don't have power. I'm like, yes, Lord. Okay, I can do this for whatever reason. Anyways, long story. But my hope isn't in the refrigerator. My hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope isn't in ice or keeping things cold. You know, when you have cold water or ice, you, <laughs> anybody with me? Yeah, we can take those little things for granted. Not anymore. Not anymore for me. Ice cold, nice, especially when it's fall and 85. Like what in the world? Where did this weather come from, Lord? (laughs) We're ready for like warm drinks and fires and blankets. Anyways, the Lord knows. I'm not complaining. I am not complaining. I love the sun, by the way. Okay. Hope is not a sedative. It is a shot of adrenaline. Like an anchor, our hope stabilizes us in the storm. But unlike the anchor, it does not keep us in the same place. An anchor, our anchor is in Jesus Christ who keeps us moving forward and does not hold us back. Amen? We are to be moving forward, excited about Jesus. I could do a cheer for you, but I'm not going to right now. (laughs) It's like, whoo, it's rising. Hope is the expectation of coming good. We need to expect something good in order to keep going and not to give up and give in to the pressure of this world, right? Where is your hope today, ladies? Is it in Jesus? Is it in heaven? Is it in anything here on earth? We are either conformers conforming to the world, or we are transformers, transforming into God's ways in sharing with people, transforming hearts. Romans 12, 2 reminds us, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and 
perfect, there's that word again, will of God. How do we renew our mind? By being in the the truth. We're going to say the truth because that's our title, okay? The truth. We renew our mind by being in the truth. It's, remember what I told you last? It's a spiritual soap. You know, it goes in, it cleans us here, here, and then it comes here, and it comes out. One of the first, I feel like the Lord, I don't know if anybody has ever had their mouth washed out with soap. It used to be what parents did. I did. Anyone? Just Kaylee? Yeah, okay, I'm not alone. I had that happen to me when I was young. That's how they used to do it. I, we should do that with our kids. I have not forgotten the taste. I can still taste it. Can you? The, that soap, it's awful. But I had my mouth washed out with soap. And I feel like when I first got saved, believe it or not, I did not, I had a potty mouth. I had not pretty mouth. But when, I, when this came in here, it like washed my mouth. Like the Lord washed my mouth out with soap. And it was the most amazing thing, and you can probably attest to it as well. It just cleaned my mouth, cleaned my mind, cleaned my heart, and, and it, the inside became clean, and then what came out became clean. Anybody else experience this? Okay, we should all raise our hand. Thank you, Jesus. Not the soap. I mean, like being, your mouth being washed out with soap. Being in the truth is like spiritual soap is what I'm trying to say We must be in the truth to combat all those lies that we're fed on a daily basis. The truth transforms while the world conforms. That was mine, by the way. Here before us is the first letter from Peter bearing the name in which, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter desired that everyone who reads it would experience the living hope that comes through the grace of God, which brings us to our second point. We are born to have hope, but we were also born for glory. We're born for glory. We weren't born to stay here the rest of our life. We were born to live there the rest of our life. Peter says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, Yet believing, you rejoice with inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith and salvation of your works. Verse 10, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who is was in them, excuse me, was indicating when he testified before the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, 
They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. I love that. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believers have been begotten again is the term, to a living hope, and that hope includes the glory of God. The glory of God means the sum total of all that God is and does. Glory is not a separate attribute or characteristic of God like holiness or wisdom or mercy. Everything that God does and is is characterized by his glory, and we as believers are, we're told, reserved for this glory. It's our inheritance, as verse 4 tells us, incorruptible and undefiled, and it will not fade away. It is also reserved for us in heaven. It's reserved, and then it says, he says, where it's kept. It keeps us. This hope is reserved for us, but it is what keeps us, isn't it? I mean, isn't hope what keeps us going? The glory of God, knowing that we will be there and experience his glory face to face, that hope, that glory, that keeps us going. And it also is revealed to us. When is it that we shine the brightest for Jesus? When in your life as a believer... Has it been that people have watched you the closest? When do you think? When you're going through trials. That's right. When you're going through pain, suffering, and trials. That's when people hone in. They hone into you. They watch you. How are you going to act? How are you going to react? Are you going to curse your God that you say you will not? That is what people are watching for. When we are going through trials and suffering, we are under a microscope by non-believers and sometimes believers alike. Peter used this word trials in verse 6 rather than tribulations or persecutions because he was dealing with the general problems that Christians face on a day-to-day basis. God uses big trials and he uses little trials like refrigerators, not working for three weeks, and nobody coming to fix it. So anyways, we're not getting into my issues. But I will say, I have been tested on the phone with LG. Don't get an LG, by the way. Sorry. Um, I've been tested. And finally, I just felt like the Lord said, just, just go with it, Michelle. Just let go. I mean, really in light of what other people are going through, Right now, my little refrigerator issue is nothing, right? I mean, let's put it into perspective. But nonetheless, it is a little trial for me and my family. So anyhow, don't feel sorry for me. Don't bring me food. It's all good. (laughs) I just can't store anything. I go to the grocery store every single day. Anyways, I know. It's okay. It's all good. Anyways, little trials and big trials. Trials in this life train us for what's to come. They're our school teacher. They are God's textbook, right? Trials are our teacher and our textbook. The word in need, if need be, in verse 6, 
indicates that God knows that there are special times in which we need to go through trials in order to learn a lesson. Lord, what lesson do I need to learn about the refrigerator? You know, sort of like a teacher who gives you a test to see if you know the material. Don't you just want to get an A without taking a test? Right. Like, we're like, can can we just do it orally? Do we have to write it down? I mean, Lord, can we talk about this and I get an A? Why does it have to be walked out in a trial? It just does. It just does. Little or big, trials are our teacher and our textbook. The purpose of a test is to make sure we have the concept. So I would suggest that you just ask right away when you start. Don't go three weeks and then ask. Start at the beginning. Lord, what are you trying to show me? Do I put too much in the refrigerator? Do I? I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm back to the refrigerator. Lord, just the little things maybe we take for granted. I haven't gotten an answer yet about the refrigerator, but when I do, I'll let you know. Maybe there's somebody, let's go with this. Maybe there's somebody that's going to come to my house and I'm going to get to share the Lord with. And it wasn't the right person, the first repair man. <laughs> Maybe it's the second one. Anyways, we'll see. I'll let you know next week. It'll, it's supposed to be fixed next Wednesday. So by next Friday, I will hopefully have the answer. Okay, now I feel pressure. The purpose of a test is to make sure we have the concept. And that when we learn the concept, we shine bright as gold that is refined in the fire. When gold is refined, it is heated very hot until the impurities rise to the surface. These impurities are called dross. Have you ever seen what dross looks like? It is black and stinky and sticky. That is dross. And, you know, it's smelly and it's not pretty. That's all I can say. So maybe that's the refrigerator thing. I'm done. I'm I'm not going back there right now. It's the dross. It's the things that come out, honestly, that come to the surface in a little or a big trial that are not pretty, and the Lord needs to scrape off. So scrape away, right? Scrape away. This, the testing of our faith, the refining, like fire, the little test, big test, is how the genuineness of our faith is tested, as Peter says, when the trials cause our stinky sin to rise to the surface, and then Jesus scrapes it off, and then another trial comes along, and the stinky sin rises to the surface, and he scrapes it off, and again, and again, and again, and again, until a trial comes, and we look down, and we see Jesus' reflection, right? Then we have it. Then we've got it. No stinky sin, just Jesus. Peter calls this process of refining more precious than gold. Ooh, more. This, the trials, the refining, the stinky sin is more precious to the Lord than a precious metal, than gold. Because the Lord says, gold perishes, but this lasts. Our refining is what leads us ultimately to his praise, to his honor, and to his glory. Are you in a trial today, big or little? Are you being refined in the fire? Let the fire do its work and learn quickly, ladies. 
Just go, okay, Lord, I recognize this is a trial. What do you want to teach me? Just kind of sit with him for a second and learn it quickly. Word from the wise. See, I'm a Peter, I told you. Soon, we will look down and see the reflection of Jesus. Peter urges readers to exercise love, faith, rejoicing, if they wanted to experience some of the glory of heaven going through suffering on earth. Charles Spurgeon said, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. (laughs) I want that. I want great faith because I want heaven here now, and you can have it. It's not enough, ladies, to long for heaven. We need to live for it now. It needs to be here now. We are born for hope. We are born to glorify God. And third and finally, we are born to be holy. Verse 13 says, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober and rest in your hope, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's word, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without a blemish and without a spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through, bit, through him, excuse me, believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. To be holy means to be pure. It means to be unpolluted unmixed with contaminants. It means undiluted. The root meaning of holy is different. A holy person is not an odd person, but a different person. They have a quality about them that is different. Their life is not only different from the past, but it is different from those unbelievers around them. You may even be different from other people calling themselves Christians. The Christian life of holiness appears strange to the lost, but to Christians, it's not strange at all. Is your life different than those around you, especially than those non-believers around you? Do you conform to the pattern of the world, or are you transformed into something different? Do people know that you're a born-again Christian, not by what you say, but by how you act? Are you loving? Are you kind? Do you help when people are in need? You know, it's that saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Do you care for people? Because you may be the only Bible that some people are willing to read, and they will watch you closely. It's not easy, gals, to live in this world and to maintain a holy life. It's possible, but it's not easy. We have the world, our own flesh, and the devil constantly worrying at us every single day. But Peter helps us out, and he gives us some instruction here how we can live a holy life in a polluted world. He says in verse 13, gird up, meaning to be prepared, to be alert, and to be ready for action. You know, when Jewish men would gird their loins, gird up, they would pull their robe, thank you. <laughs> I was trying to pull that word out of the air and it just didn't come. Robe uh, between their legs and they would tuck it into their belt. And a Jewish man, he would have his robe to his knees and women would typically go all the way down so that they could do what they needed to do. They could run if they needed to. They, they could um, be prepared, ready for action. That, that is this word, gird up. Get ready. Peter exhorts us to gird up, though, our minds, because that is where the battle takes place, right? It's in our mind. We are to take every thought captive. We are to be in the Word of God. We are to allow the word to be that spiritual soap, to clean our mind, to sharpen our mind, to give us wisdom and discernment and gifts of the spirit that we can know um, how to discern what is good, what is bad, what we should do. We should be ready for service and for battle. We are to be disciplined and diligent as we live out our lives in light of his grace and hope. We need to do whatever it takes to focus our thoughts on the things of heaven, not on the things of earth, as we obey God. And that is part of it too, because we can read the word and we can even retain the word. But if we don't obey the word, it doesn't do us any good. We have to read it retain it, and obey it. Next, we are to stand up. Verse 14 says, so first gird up, and then we are to stand up. He said, do not conform to the world. We are to resist it by being transformed and renewed by the word of God, which results, as I said, in obedience. True salvation, ladies, always results in obedience. If you are truly born again, there will be change. That's the number one sign of um, somebody that's truly born again. There's change. There's something different. And that normally comes by obeying the word of God. We are to gird up. We are to stand up. And verse 15 and 16 tell us we are to step up. We are to be holy as he is holy. We are to be unmixed with this world. We are called to be holy, gals. We are called to be pure. We are called to be, <clears throat> excuse me, undiluted and not contaminated by the world. How do we do this? How do we live in a world and not let it pollute us, not let it contaminate us? 
It is not easy, is it? I'll tell you how. You limit your time with the world. Limit what you take in. Limit what you watch. Limit what you listen to. Limit who you hang around with, who you spend time with, that don't think, even Christians, I'm going to say, that don't think the same way you do, that don't have a heart, that don't have the passion that you do, because it will affect you. The Bible says a little leaven leavens a whole lump. We cannot go along hanging out with people who do not feel and think and speak the same language we do. It will take its toll on us. So limit your time in the world with the worldly. Number four, verse 17 tells us that we are to wake up. As believers, we need to be serious, ladies, about sin and about holy living because we will be judged. Every believer, as we spoke about last week, will stand in one of two places, or every person, I should say person, will stand in one of two places. You will stand at the Bema seat for, I told you last week, remember? Bema means B for, louder, believers. Thank you. Come on, word association, people. Let's do this. Bema seat, believers. The believer will sit there. The toilet bowl is for non-believers, right? Yeah, that's the white, great white throne judgment. Toilet bowl, I just picture before you were saved, you get the idea. Okay, so that is for non-believers. Believers at the Bema seat. You will sit in one of those two places. The Bema seat is where we want to be because that is where you will see, receive your rewards for what you did with Jesus. Nobody stands with you on judgment day. No one, no husband, no one, no parent. You stand there alone. And the Lord will say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? And what, how will you answer? We want to say, I took every opportunity. I was patient for that repairman, the second one, to come. So I could share Jesus with him. (laughs) Lord, oh Lord, I hope that's what it is. Guess what? I'm just going to share it anyways, just because I put it out there now, whether he wants to hear or not. Maybe he is saved, but okay. So Lord, we pray for this repairman in the name of Jesus. Okay. Anyways, we are to wake up because we all will stand there at the judgment seat, either at the Bema seat for believers or the great white throne judgment. And we want the Lord to say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And hey, here's a crown. Here's two. Here's three. Here's four. And guess what we're going to do with those crowns? We're going to throw them at the feet of Jesus and say, you hung on the cross for me. This is the least that I could do for you. Live my life for you. Tell people about you. Lead the repairman to the Lord. We can do that for him. Amen? That is the least we can do for him. We are to gird up, stand up, step up, wake up, and speak up. Ladies, we cannot share Jesus if we do not open our mouth. 
verse 18 through 21 says, knowing that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we should be able to share the love of Jesus. Look for opportunity. If you pray in the morning, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with somebody today? Hands down, every time I do that, he provides me an opportunity. Try it. Try it. It has been interesting the last few weeks how I've really stepped out, not trying to step out, but I've really just stepped out in faith. And I've just said, Lord, I'm just going to, every opportunity that you give me, I'm going to step out in faith. And I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to share, and I'm going to pray for. And um, I'm sharing this only with you and our ladies on Monday night because I'm floored when the Lord uses me, but yet then I question whether it was him or not. You go, have you ever done that? Lord, was that you? So one of my daughter's, um, my daughter's cheerleaders, friends, they were at practice on Wednesday, and I was sitting there watching, and she fell, and she hurt her ankle, and she's on the ground, and she heard a pop, and I was like, oh, no, and she was crying, and they went to go get her ice, so I went over, and I said, um, I said, are you okay? You know, what happened? She told me. I said, let me pray for you. I laid my hand on her foot, and, and I just prayed, God, you are the great physician. You are the healer. You care about the girl's foot. You care. And um, Lord, would you touch her and heal her right now in the name of Jesus? And that was it. And so I left. And my daughter told me the next day, Mom, you're not going to believe us, the girl. She told me, because um, she was like running around school, and I'm like, wait, I thought your, your ankle popped, and we thought this was a serious injury. And the girl said, oh, your mom prayed for me that God would heal me. And then I got right up, and I ran up the stairs. Amen, right? So this is the thing. What do you think I thought? She mu- it must have not been that bad, you know? You know, like... Lord, would you help us to believe that you are living and powerful and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and you, you can heal people by us just, we're not thinking like, oh, Lord, heal her right now. I mean, like, you're going to, forgive us, Lord, right? Forgive us when we doubt you. Forgive us when we, when we don't step out, but then when we do step out and then we don't believe it's you. Forgive us then. Lord, forgive me. And I'm, so I'm just going to say, praise God, he healed this girl. You know, he, he healed her. So, and the great thing was that she attributed it to the prayer. So praise God. Whether it was or wasn't, it, she, it was. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, we cannot look to this world for any help. There is no hope in it. Our hope alone is in Jesus Christ and that he's coming soon and his word endures forever. What I would like to end with is this question to you. If it were possible to live every moment of every day with hope, would you want to know how? Anyone? I would. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. Here are three tools if you want to live every moment of every day with hope. So I'd write them down if I was you. Number one, remember that earth is not your home. Our home is heaven. We are strangers to this world 
This life is not it. Number two, God uses trials to strengthen our faith. We may suffer, as Peter said, for a little while with all kinds of trials, yet we have hope in God because he never weighs any pain or any suffering. Remember that this earth is not your home. God uses trials to strengthen our faith. And third and finally, the end is near. Jesus is coming soon, so we should be intentional about our sharing as Peter reminds us that we have to be ready to give an account of this hope that lies within us. If we live every day expecting Jesus' return, knowing that our pain is perfecting us, and we keep our eyes on heaven, we will live with hope every day. We will have a living hope. Amen? How many of you want living hope? Let's practice it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do love you and praise you and thank you that we have instruction from your word of God that encourages us, Lord, to hang on, Lord. And I just know that there are some here that are weary and tired and weak, God, and I ask that you would strengthen them today, that your word would give them power to continue, God, to persevere even in the midst of pain, God. May our eyes be on you. May our eyes be on your soon and near return, and may we know that you use our pain and suffering to perfect us and mold us and shape us into your very image. And Lord, we pray for the repairman that he would get saved. In Jesus' name, amen.